building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. Hey, we're talking to Miles McPherson about race, how to build a mega church, and how to be humble and see people in the image of God. Miles McPherson. What's up? What's up? <laughs> so we're going to talk about race, and I know that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys just heard that and went, Harrison, you're doing race again. I, I want to say two things. The first one is you have some really unique perspectives on race that I think really are going to help to change the conversation. Mm-hmm. A couple things, actually. The second thing is you're one of my really good friends that corrects me when I say dumb things. <laughs> I say this all the time. Right? So I do a lot of correcting. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> If I say you know something, you're like, you know, Harrison, let me tell you a better way or why that was insensitive and it's helpful because I want to be someone who's authentic and real all the time. I don't want to be careful, but I also want to be sensitive. And so you've been really good at helping me see things a different way because your dad was a cop, your son's a cop. So you, you kind of get both worlds. And you receive it well. So I'm at, you got to be teachable, right? Well, not everybody is. So I, yeah. I, I want to be, in, but you are. Have been. So, I mean, let's, well, let's just start off with that. Tell me, just start off, you've written this awesome book, by the way. Mm -hmm. Tell us the race conversation. What is your take on it that's completely different than what we're hearing? We've got the the sort of blame white people for everything. We've got the white people saying, well, I never owned slaves, so racism is not an issue, so what's everybody's problem? Mm -hmm. And you're coming along and saying, let's let's go a different way on this. Let's have a a third option. Mm -hmm. Well, first background, my context, because... Every discussion has context and it's important to know context and important to know definition of words. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a uh, w- white grandmother, all my grandparents have passed, but white grandmother, half black Chinese grandmother and two black grandfathers. And my white grandmother was prohibited from dating her husband. You know, when he used to come over her house, she actually was moved out of Jamaica, West Indies uh, to Jamaica, Queens. So she wouldn't marry someone from Jamaica. And she found my grandfather and he couldn't go in the front door of a house. And, and when they got married, they um, not only did they deal with a lot of racism and culture, but her family cut her off. So they live 15 minutes from me. We never heard of them. Never met them. Wow. I didn't know until I wrote the book that I heard these stories. Right. But I did know growing up that she was the only white person in our family and we didn't know where she came from. And it wasn't even a question. It was like never, it, because it was never talked about, I just never thought about it. Oh, at least I don't remember. But they lived 15 minutes away. She had brothers and parents. Hmm. And, and it was just like, we, you're done. So as a little kid, you just didn't, it, it didn't really strike you as unusual. I, I, it, yeah, because she was only, she was all we knew. I It didn't strike me as unusual that I didn't know where her family was. And I don't remember anyway. But that was her story. And I think back to her sitting 
in the living room sometimes and just kind of, and I always remember thinking she, there was something sad about her, right? I don't know that that was it, but I got to believe that was part of it because she had um, four kids. And by the time I was two, my grandfather was dead because he got killed in a car accident. So it was just her and her kids and um, my mom and my uncles. Um, they went to my, my uncles went to my high school. Uh, she lived right down, you know, half mile from me. But her, her context and all that she went through with racism, with her family and culture um, was her story, which I never talked to her about, but I was experiencing it because I lived in a black neighborhood, went to school in a white neighborhood growing up, which was literally two blocks from her house. And it was a white neighborhood where I went to Catholic school and it was all white and you couldn't live there if you were black. So I, that's where I went every day for school. So you felt this little anxiety when you went over Ocean Avenue, which was the street which was two blocks from her house. So, so context, because yeah, you context. look like you're about 20, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm actually 25, but I'll be, I'll be 61 uh, this month, March. I don't know when this airs. So we're talking early 70s here. We're talking, I was born in 1960, right? Yeah. So I started going to that school 65, 66. Uh, Martin Luther King was killed when I was eight. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So I was going to that school and in that school, I called the N word constantly, right? And in front of teachers, in front of parents, and they were, there was nothing. It was, and there were, there were fights, my kid brothers and we all, it was just eight years of that. Um, and then I would come back into my neighborhood where I was light skinned. So I got called white boy. So I wasn't black enough, right? Mm. And then my grandmother was white, right? My mother looks white. She's very, very fair skinned. Um, so my family had white, black, Chinese, half Chinese and black, West Indian. And so my family was very diverse. Um, my football teams I played on were kids from the white neighborhood and the black neighborhood. All right. So and then we were together and we played football. And some of the guys on my team, one kid on my team named Lorenzo, who he, he had no parents. Both his parents were dead. This is, we're 10. So who, who's raising him, right? And my parents would pick him up and a couple other guys that had no parents ever come to a game ever, right? Parents were gone, whatever, poor, they lived in a different neighborhood. It, and and we were, those were guys like my brothers. I mean, if, if I was doing this at my house, one of the pictures behind me is me and one of these guys. Those guys were like my brothers, but to the kids in the white neighborhood, they were the thugs. And a couple of them went to jail when they got older, but they were like my brothers. I mean, if I saw them today, these guys were, we, our hearts were mended. Because mm. when we were 10, 11, 12 years old, we played football together. My parents would take them to football practice, pick them up, buy them food. And they were like so honoring of my parents because one of them didn't have any parents. Matter of fact, Lorenzo, I, my father and I were driving through a neighborhood and he was on a corner once. And he was, you know, he was probably 20. I, we were older then. And he would see my dad, he would take a cigarette, put it behind his back, put his beer behind his back and his face would light up. He's like, he loved my dad so much because my dad was this man that believed in him. And he would just melt to a little kid. He'd be on the corner, you know, thugging out with all the, all the boys, loud cursing. And you see my dad, he turned into a little kid. Really? That's cool. So my context is I have experience with people from both sides of this argument and they're people made in the image of God, full humanity, equal humanity. That's my starting point, right? So when Martin Luther King was killed when I was eight, 
And I was like, well, before Martin Luther King was killed, I was like, he's, he's going to help fix this. He was killed. So to me, I'm thinking someone just came and took a person. I said, that's not right. And I felt how unfair it was. And what are we going to do? And all my life, I have been in this world of seeing how do we help these people get to know each other. And you see people, white people saying stuff. You see black people saying stuff. People are flawed. People are sinful. People are wrong. People are selfish. People are this, right? Um, and so a few years ago, I, I got an opportunity to write a book <clears throat> and the third option. So you have us versus them. And it's my way is better than your way. And that is the way of sinful people. And every person, no matter what color or culture you are, you are sinful. And you're always going to look out for yourself. And um, at the same time, I have the pain and the, and the experience of being discriminated against. I have, the, you know, I used to go to school when Roots came out. I was going, I believe I was still in that white school. I would have to go to school after Roots was on TV, right? So everybody was watching Roots. And if you don't know what Roots is, it was, a, I don't know how many, a long show about slavery and how it came to America. It was, it was, it was a, the, one of the biggest series ever, mm -hmm. but it was like weeks and weeks and weeks. Kunta Kinte. Yeah, yeah. And, and so now all this is stirred up because now these kids are, you know, calling you names and, uh -huh. and then, but also you're seeing the reality of what happened to your ancestors, right? On TV. And it would, you just leave there mad. And, um, and so I was always in conflict because it was hurtful and, and, and all the stuff my parents went through, my father, my, you know, um, uh, uh, all the racism my family went through, um, which kept fueling it throughout the years. My brother was a Heisman runner up, right. And, and it, which is probably the one thing that stirred, kept this fire going in my life because he was a quarterback back when court, black quarterbacks wasn't fashionable. And he was always the best quarterback. He was All-American in high school, All-American in college. Which college? He went to university, uh, Syracuse. And they were fourth in the world, fourth in the nation. He was All-American in high school. Um, but he was always, eh, he's not good enough. And he was a top-rated passer in the nation. Troy Aikman was number two to him, but he couldn't pass. And he was drafted in the fifth round. Troy Aikman was first player drafted. Troy Aikman was great, don't get me wrong, but my brother was a high, higher rate of passer. <laughs> and, and so that was also another, that kind of kept the fuel because it was just so frustrating. It was in your face, in your face, in your face. Mm. And so when I got a chance to write a book, I was like, how do I write something to bring people together? Mm -hmm. And not at all to deny the reality, because I lived it, it was to, expose the reality and say, look, this is true. This is true. And, and I think in our culture, the problem is when you have us first them culture, you have people saying my truth is better than your truth. And that's the, that's the conflict and the division we have is us first them and us first them culture, defund the police. You're a well, former cop. My dad was a cop. My son is a cop defund the police. Well, well, again, what does that even mean, right? So everybody's probably different. But uh, uh, Republican, Democrat, or 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 you're for or against Black Lives Matter, and, and is Black Lives Matter the organization or the term? That's right, a whole. Right. So now, and you got all these things, and people are like, my side is right, whatever your side is on whatever issue, and you. And in order for me to be right, you have to be wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the culture, and so we argue about who's right over the other person. And everybody's got their justification from their experience, from their perspective, because we always we only see things from our perspective. 
that's what that's what's causing division in the world. And so everybody's coming with their best argument of why they're wrong and the other person's right. Well, the third option is that we honor what we have in common. And we all have more similarities than differences. And when you have relationships with people based on what you have in common, if you start there, then you can see our differences as often variations of the same thing. Like you and I are both men. You and I are both dads. You and I are both leaders. You and I are both run organizations. We have all these things in common. We can talk about all those things all day. When you have relationship with people, now you have room to understand their perspective because you, you're going to be more patient. Um, you know, we've had differences, but that doesn't mean, I mean, I have differences with my wife, right? So that's just, that's just relationship. And so the third option is that we honor or give value to what we have in common. And the main thing of what we have in common is we're equally human. There aren't people who are less human than other people. Or, or there aren't, there's not an image of God in a person that's inferior to the image of God in another person. That's just not true. The image of God is the image of God. The ability to have a relationship with God and, and, and uh, hear his word and worship him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so if we were focused on, could focus on the fact that we're more similar than different, we're 99.5% genetically identical, give or take, 99 plus genetically identical, you and I. And, and, and you're you, faster than me. You play the NFL. <laughs> now, I, I'm not saying your my, your genes are as superior as mine. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I, I may have been faster than you at some point. I don't know about now, but um, but you know, you bleed red. You got a kidney. You got a heart. You got a stomach. They can take my heart and put it in you. I mean, mm -hmm. and so we forget about all these things. I'm, I, I'm sure we could talk about marriage and have a whole lot of similar stories. Right? <laughs> we could talk about parenting. And have a lot of so all these things we have in common. And if we focus on those things, it would help me uh, get to know you better and your perspective. Because there, you believe the things you believe for a reason. I believe the things I believe for a reason. Very few people know the reasons about the other person or even know the other person. And, mm -hmm. and so the third option is that we honor uh, what we have in common. Don't you think the foundation of what you're talking about is humility? Like it's pride that allows me not to hear you because I think, well, my perspective is right because I'm so awesome. But when we fall in love with Christ, we get rid of the sin in our lives. We, the foundation of that is love, right? I mean, when we, when we grow in Christ, we love each other. There's a humility that says, I want to know who you are, why you think the way you do. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. There, there's a humility that comes from the ability to listen. And I see so much false pride in America today of people who just won't, they're just talking over each other. They're not hearing each other. 100%. <clears throat> My way is better than your way. And, and that's pride, you know, and if we could hear each other, um, and, and, and someone once said, when you're arguing with somebody, you don't want to answer the question. You want to answer the questioner. Because sometimes people ask questions, but they're really... That's good. It's, it, they're really trying to say, they don't know even know what they're asking. They're, mm -hmm. they're just trying to express a feeling That's they have. That's some good parenthood advice right there. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, right. And and so you want to understand the questioner, but that requires you to be humble and hear the Holy Spirit say, this person's struggling with this. You know, you know sometimes people come and yell at you and you're like, they're not, they're not really mad at me. They're dealing with their mm -hmm. blank, you know, and I'm just happen to be here to receive the venting. Um, and so 
at the end of the day, if we're all made the image of God, if we're all equally human, we all have this craving to have relationship and to be in love with God and to be in love with people. So when that's not fulfilled, we express it in other ways. And when people are saying, you know, um, I want to live in a safe neighborhood. Well, don't you too? We do. Right. And, and, and so a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the cries of people are the cries everybody has. But what happens is people hear, if I give that, do I have to give this up? Or if I agree with that person, am I going to be vilified by these people? And we don't step back and go, wait a minute, we're all human. Let's try to address these issues as, as humans, understanding that they're human, just like me. Now, let me ask you sort of a a complicated question, but I mean, you, I know you'll have the answer to this, but if you look at the history of the world, there's always been us and them, you know, mm -hmm. you, the stories of the Jews hating the Samaritans mm -hmm. in the Bible, right? And you look at the history of America, it, it's not always been a race issue because when we were, we've been good at hating. We, we hated the Italians. We mm -hmm. hated the Irish. We hated the Jews. We hated mm -hmm. Catholics. Mm -hmm. there, there's been no end to sort of us versus them mm -hmm. segments. Do you think the current conversation is an extension of that. It's just the newest version of us versus them. Or is this a, a different thing? Because it's about going all the way back to our history of slavery and everything. I think it's all uh, our sinful nature creates reasons for one group to feel superior to another group. Amen. And, and so if my group, and I talk about this in the book, uh, and I talk about in-group, out-group. And so my in-group are people who are like me. And in the, in the scenario you talked about, I'm, you know, Protestant and you're Catholic. So you're not like me because you're Catholic. You're not like me because you're Irish. You're not like me because you're uh, Chinese or whatever it is. And so um, uh, slavery just happens to be one of those not like me's. You know, you're, you're an animal. You're not even human, right? And so we all find reasons to have this not in-group, people who are like me, outgroup who are people who are not like me, division. And once I identify you as not like me, which is going to be inferior because I'm never going to make you better than me. <laughs> so if you're not like me, you're going to be worse than me because my pride says I'm better. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to rationalize holding you down. And so that's, that's a, uh, as old as man is on the earth. That is, <laughs> and, and, now here's the here's the great news, and that's what this that's why this book to me is liberating and revolutionary. And I, and I don't take credit for it; God gave it to me and everything. But if I look at you and say you're a white guy, you're not like me, and therefore I'm better, of course, because I'm going to put myself above you, unless I have internalized racism, which is a whole other thing, because there's several different kinds of racism. So if I if I look at you and say you're a white guy and you're inferior to me because you're not like me, well. What if I said, what if I found a reason to make you like me? In other words, what if I just, what if I identified something that made you and I the same? Because I said in the very beginning, you and I are more similar than different. So why would I pick one reason, one thing that's were different and ignore the thousand things that were the same? Mm -hmm. That's what, that's, that's what the book does. It says, let's look at this from the other way around. Instead of looking and assuming that you're not like me because of how you look or how you sound. Why don't I um, assume and not even assume, but come to the conclusion that you are more like me 
in all these other ways that are true, factual. You're a man, you're a dad, you're this, you're all these things I can say. You you have to sleep at night, you have to eat, you have to be affirmed, you have a purpose, you want to be successful, you need money. I mean, these are all the things that you and I have are identical, right? So what if I focused on that and all of a sudden now you're like me? So in a book I talk about in-group, out-group, and if and when you identify your in-group, you express in-group bias. You're more patient with the person who's like you. You have better assumptions about the person who's like you. You're more, you're, you assume you're going to get along with the person that's like you. So if you, if you walk in a room and there's a bunch of, you are a cop, a bunch of cops, you're going to have an opinion about them because you know them, you're mm -hmm. comfortable mm -hmm. just the way we are. Well, if I, if someone's not like me, I'm going to assume the opposite. I'm going to have to be less patient. I'll be more skeptical. I probably won't gravitate to hanging out. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be out of, of fish out of water. So I'll kind of avoid. And, and so therefore I avoid you. That's what discrimination is, right? So if you're not like me, you know, I'm going to hold you down. I'm gonna, if I, and if I'm in the, in the position of power to make rules, my rules are going to make sure I'm around people who are like me. Because I want to have in-group bias all the time. Don't right? want to be uncomfortable. I want to be uncomfortable. And I want to make sure people around me are going to assume better than me and keep the people away who are like me. That's how the laws are made. That's why that's when people want to talk about institutional. That's where the institutional racism comes from. And so if all the people who are like me are in control, well, I feel better because I'm around people who are like me. We all think of the same. And we're going to keep separated the people, segregation, who are not like me. So that's, that's, and by the way, this is not, I know people are probably listening and saying, well, he's going to talk about white people. All, <laughs> I know all, you better than that. Yeah, no, no, we're going we to go there, but we're going to go there this way. Everywhere around the world, because I've heard people say, you know, you know, only white people can be racist and black people can't be racist. Listen, if you go to Africa, there's black people being racist against black people. Mm -hmm. Depend because why? Tribes. It's a tribe. And so it's really, it just so happens in America, whites have the power, but this is not a white thing. It's a, it's a human thing. It's a mm -hmm. pride thing. It's global. And so, but, but if we go past the color of this culture, listen, you, 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 you <laughs> just go around the world and every culture has a group that's, that's oppressing another group. <laughs> But if you go past the culture in all those groups, it's about who's like me, who's not like me. And so if I, if I, if for some way I can see you as like me, because in, even in Africa, when you have this tribe against this tribe, those people are more like each other. Take away skin color. They're more like each other because they're human. I, I, I am 99.5% genetically identical with someone in China. If, if, besides the fact that I'm one, a Chinese, but take that away. We're, we're human. And so mm -hmm. if when you meet people anywhere in the world, whether it be over the tracks from your neighborhood or halfway around the globe, that person has more in common with you than you realize. And if you look for that, you'll make a friend. And if you make a friend, you will, you will ensure that your friend has the freedoms you have. I don't want to make it as simple as that, but it's really as simple as that. <laughs> well, I mean, if you really look at it, it's a lot of the story of Christ. I mean, you have these disciples who were from a very tiny geographical area and and their Messiah is walking around, like talking to women in public and talking to Samaritans. And they're, they're constantly shocked. Like, wait, you know, you can see their brains expanding as Jesus is, is, is showing the very things that you're talking about. 
these all sinners all needing a savior. Right. It's it's an amazing story. If you kind of go back and read the the gospels through their eyes, I love to to go into the Bible and read it and think, well, if I was this person, how would I be seeing this? You know, empathize with the character, and it, it makes it come more alive. If you stick yourself in Peter's eyes, Type A, you know, these fishermen were tough dudes. You know, they had to fight over their fishing grounds and pull up those nets. They would have been all big, burly guys, and they've lived in this little tiny world. And all of a sudden, Jesus is just crashing down all their stereotypes, all the things that they thought they knew. And they're dealing with all this. And you can see the deep confusion until they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, they completely change as, mm -hmm. as people. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I just did the story, uh, the, the woman Samaria, the woman at the well, and she's like, well, how are you talking to me? <laughs> now you're a Jew, you're a guy. I mean, and he's like, oh, no, I know, I don't see it that way. I, I see you as a woman that needs, that needs the love of God. And it's like, oh, snap. <laughs> that's, that's Hebrew for, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I often say this, we as Christ followers, if we see ourselves as anything more in what we identify with than as a Christ follower, then we have an idol. So if you see yourself as a white man or a black man or a football player or a tuba player more than you see yourself as a, as a follower of Christ, then you're an immature and you need to grow up. Mm -hmm. And that this is when, when we see divisions in the church around even charismatics, you speak in tongues, they don't speak mm -hmm. in tongues. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Mm -hmm. If you speak in tongues, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of all mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. Can we just get down to the point of mm -hmm. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how we can build each other mm -hmm. up and sharpen mm -hmm. each other in Christ. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, it gets more real after that. There, there, are, there are real issues we've got to talk about and deal with. You can't just sweep it all under the rug after that. But at least if we start off with the point that I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. And if we start off at that point, <laughs> the conversation mm -hmm. is so much more simple. Yeah. And, and again, we go back to the third option of honor or placing high value on our similarity. And if everybody um, did that with how they talk about people, one of the, one of the things I talk mm -hmm. about is the labels we put on people. Um, and we have a, um, a six session training. We call it similarity training, not diversity equity training. It's I like called, that. It's called similarity training. We're doing with police and DA and schools and, you know, and, and it, we have a mainstream version and then we have a, a church version. And we have a K through eight curriculum as well with, for the same concept. And Waterstone, who's paying for this, is also helping pay for that. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And labels is one of the sessions. And just with the label we put on people, it determines how we treat them. Because if I call you dumb, I'll never see you smart. You're mm. talking about a parenting, uh, you know, parenting, right? If I call you ugly, I'll never see you as pretty. Um, but if I call you, and so when we call each other, a thug or white this or this and that or whatever, those labels put a cap on how we could ever treat somebody, whatever we would expect from somebody. And it just right there, you, you, the convert, the ability for you to honor them and love them is just stunted because of the label. Mm -hmm. And so we watch television and the media, we're getting all these labels of people and then we parrot them out and we're just, we're just, um, and, and as I talk as believers, we're taking all the amazing loving limitless labels that God has given us, son, daughter, and anointed, you know, redeemed heir. And we're taking, oh no, I can't, I can't use that with that person. I'm going to put it under this label of thug or under this label of white privilege or under this label of, you know, immigrant. And now I'm a Christian saying, well, I love them, but you know, I can't love them past that label. 
because my, my lens is not the Bible. It's my politics. It's, it's my, it's my issue. And, and the, it's so slick how the devil does it. The Bible says to uh, love God with your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That label is neighbor. Well, if you're my neighbor, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> how am I going to treat you? But if I say, well, he's not really my neighbor because he's not like me. He's my outgroup. So I'm going to put my outgroup label on him. He's a dirty cop. Well, he's a cop. So in that mind, that's bad, right? And so if I, so I put that on him, now I have to treat him how culture tells me to treat a cop or a white guy or a thug or antique or whatever we call him. That's the label. I'm taking God's label and putting man's label. And now I can only treat him for that. That's good. You know, I pray all the time, every day, that God would help me look at people through his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, you forget that that person you're talking to, no matter what it is, you're trying to sell something, you're trying to raise money, you're in a meeting, even as a pastor, you're counseling people, you can sometimes see them as whatever it is that we're trying to do here, instead of, this is a person who might be suicidal. This is a person whose wife might be dying of cancer, mm-hmm. or whose, whose kid has just come out with some terrible news, and he's just wrestling inside. And if we take our time to see the other person as a, a child of God, you know, it says in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition mm-hmm. or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we followed that command that when I'm seeing, speaking to you, Miles, I'm seeing Miles, a son of God, how can I serve you? And if we all did that, but man, it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard because our flesh gets in the way and people, and people press our buttons and our insecurities. (laughs) Whatever our dad said to us when we were five, that, that Mm -hmm. it left this hole in our soul. And now we're, you know, uh, running around. It's sort of of like Donald Trump, you know, you see him respond to things. You're like, dude, why are you so defensive? You see like this child, just how dare you insult me? And you're off down this road. Mm-hmm. He was such an explosive vision. I'm giving him as an example of mm-hmm. what happens to us. We get off mm-hmm. kilter and Satan's always right there, lying to us. Mm-hmm. Just go here, go here. And if we just got rid of that junk and I, man, repentance to sin, spending time with Christ, journaling. And what is the father telling me today? Mm-hmm. It, it changes a soul from the inside out and gets rid of all that crap. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why the church, this is where the church is failing. The church is failing by handling all these social issues from a political or, or mm-hmm. a, I'll say this, non-biblical, whether it be politics, whether it be what your neighbor is saying, whatever, it ain't the Bible, right? And uh, 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 from those perspectives or seeing those things from those, through those lenses, instead of seeing, I was, I was on a call, I was, I was ta- talking to, I won't say the group, but we were talking about third option and I was talking about labels. And I said, when you see those guys um, in the protests and the guys, the people who are looting, okay. I went to the, to the most extreme case for these people. I said, they're made in the image of God and they're, they're human beings made in the image of God. And if you see them as thugs, right? They're doing thuggish things. But if you see them as thugs, that's what they are. If that's the label, then you would never see them above that. I said, they made them. He said, no, they're not. They need to be controlled by the government were his words. And so what wow. he would, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and there may be people watching this going, they're right. They're right. Because you agree, right? There may be somebody that you agree with that. You're wrong. They're made in the image of God and you, the potential of those people. And I bet you, I'm, and I told this guy, this 
that there were going to be stories. This is just I, my faith. I'm saying it's by faith. Stories of relationships that were made through those those times where people are going to say, "Here's what I did." And we all know them. People who have done bad things, but then God redeemed them. Because if you say someone is this, a, a criminal, a thug, or you know, white supremacist, and, and trust me, there are people who act those ways, no question about it. But I have a former white supremacist, one of my dear friends. That wasn't his destiny. That, in other words, he wasn't stuck there. Mm. He, he was that, right? But I, I would trust that guy with everything I own today, right? He's like a brother to me because God did something in his life. And so, yes, he did believe those things. And yes, matter of fact, when I met him, I, I should say I met him, when he got saved at the church I was preaching at, so I didn't meet him, at least I don't remember, but he came forward with four of his friends. They were all white supremacists. They came to church and they walked out. Now, I don't remember if I actually met him at that time, but I was there as a speaker. Now I know him, I talk to him all the time. And um, he, I interviewed him here at church a year and a half ago, I can't remember now. And some of his friends came that are still white supremacists today. I said, hey, bring him in the back in the green room. Let's hang out. He's like, oh, you know, he, he's already thinking about me interviewing him in front of the church, much less now he's got to deal with that. We brought him in the back and it's like, okay, love is going to cover a multitude of sin right now. And so if you stick people and make them stuck, and at least in your mind or where they're at, you're never going to be able to have any hope for them. And you'll just treat them like, hey, they're just down there. That's the problem with culture. Instead of saying as Christians, this is what tr Christians do. And this is, God's like, I could have done that to you. Mm. Matter of fact, I could do that to you right now because you judging them, that's, <laughs> that's a sin. And so as believers, we have to go back to what does the Bible say? You know, this is believe what the Bible says in this, and, uh, and to consider everyone else better than yourself, right? And to look at, look, at, look at people redemptively, what can God, what is God doing in their life? Um, uh, because people, and again, context, my context is, I know tons of people on both sides of the tracks at their worst and seen them change. So, you know, I, 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 I look at that and I, it's almost like, you know, little kids screaming, but you know, in two minutes, you give them some ice cream, they're gonna be happy. So it's almost like you look at these people and you go, there's something in there that's way better than that. Cause God put it there and, and, and the devil can't take it away. Their, their ability, their, the image of God that they have been made and their ability to have a relationship with God cannot be taken away. And they, it's in there. And I've seen people as, I don't want to say as far from God as you, as you can imagine, but really jacked up. And the way they thought about life, the way they saw life was so anti-God and God redeemed them. And um, so I always see people that through the ends of the Bible, right? Um, uh, and it's not even my, it's not my invention. It's God's revelation about humans. And, and that's how we got to see people. I got, uh, I got so convicted two weeks ago, a friend of mine, Robert Mason is a, a big developer in Orlando. So he's driving down the street and he sees a woman standing there. Um, and she's got a sign. And then when he gets closer, the sign says trans black lives matter. And, you know, as he told me that, I immediately felt a certain way in, in my system. And he goes, you know, Ken, I got to tell you, at, at first my reaction was revulsion, like at that sign. And he goes, and then God convicted me and I, 
he goes, I pulled over, I got out and I walked up and I said, um, he said, I pulled $20 out of my wallet and I said, your life does matter because Jesus died for you and he loves you. And he said, this person just broke down bawling. And so no one has ever told me they loved me before. And he sat there and, and, um, witnessed and, and, and gave the message of Christ. And I go, dude, I got to tell you that when you told me about the sign, I had the same feeling that you said you had. Mm -hmm. So again, um, even in that story, you know, didn't see that person as a, as someone who can be a child of Christ who needs the gospel message. And when he, he said that, um, that they just start crying, I'm like, man, that, that lays down what you're just saying. 100%. Christians just acted that way. hundred percent. Uh, that, that's the whole thing right there because you could have given the label and yeah, she had, she had the, the sign that said, I, I, I'm assuming it was her, let's assume, but God said, there's more to you than that sign. And, and, and actually the sign was almost saying, Hey, I'm crying out for people to understand that I matter because I don't feel like I matter. I'm, I'm imposing on assumptions on this person, but evidence by what he did is exactly what was going on. And that's how we have to see people. Now there's a bunch of people out there watching, go, what about the laws? What about this? Listen, that's the problem. Is that the, until the heart is changed, you, you can make, this is a heart issue. God created us to have relationships with people and he created his heart to beat in us. And by faith, we have to believe that loving people and doing what your friend did and all the different ways we can do that would, is going to solve a lot of the conflict that we have. And it's going to not only solve the relationship conflict, it's going to solve a perspective conflict. Because if I see you, let's say you, you're my neighbor and you live next to me and you, and this actually happened. I had a, a lady whose plants were, her roots were coming in my yard and they were tearing up my my, you got that nice pool, man. You got it. <laughs> her, neighbor, her roots can't be getting near hey, that pool. Yeah, can't come near my pool. <laughs> so just tearing up my my um, uh, irrigation, and and I could say you're going to do this or this, and we can have those conflicts with people. And and I don't remember how this was resolved, so I'll make it up. But because I, I I do remember her coming over and saying I'm not doing anything. But uh, <laughs> but often we look at people as um, we look at that, the people through the lens that I have to be right and you have to be wrong. Yeah. And if, those, if that's my own, if those, are, if those are the only options for us to resolve this, then I'm going to control you because I'm going to do something that protects me instead of saying, but if I love you though, that gives me a third option perspective. And my third option perspective is, Hey, let's, let's, let's sit down and work it out. You know, and, and, and let's, 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 I'll give a little bit, you give a little bit versus I have to have it my way. And often when we look at people like the lady with the sign, it's like, no, she's wrong. I don't believe in that lifestyle and I have to do this versus, well, if you have a relationship with her, probably both of you will come to a, a third option or a compromise in how you talk about each other, how you resolve any conflicts. And and obviously, the, your friend's not going to change the law, but at least now he's going to go speak kindly of your experience and give people another perspective of those people. Now he sharpened me. Right? Exactly. Iron sharpens iron. Exactly. One, as, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. All right. So after this um, little break, 
When we come back, I want to talk about um, the church. So we've, we've kind of gotten into that, but I want to really go into some of the bold stands you've taken, that this huge church that you've got, awesome church that you've got here in San Diego. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. Promise Keepers is back, and we're relaunching the stadium events that brought millions of men to Christ. Join us this July at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, for a men's conference like no other. Strengthen your soul with unforgettable worship led by top Christian artists. Form friendships with brothers in Christ that last a lifetime, and discover new tools and strategies that will empower you to follow Jesus more faithfully. Be sure to get your tickets before they sell out or find a simulcast location near you. Visit www.promisekeepersevent.com for the latest information. We'll see you this summer. Miles, you know, a lot of what we're talking about, I, I find one of the problems in the church has been we're more worried about cleaning up the outside of a person than the inside. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to our mutual friend, Jedediah Thurmer, who's got the coolest name besides maybe Miles, the coolest first name ever. I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's Jedediah. That's that, cool. that 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 guy is a warrior. Oh man, he is. What they're know, doing? I don't know where. Mission dot me. Anybody who wants to know. Yeah. But know. we were talking last night about even the abortion thing, and and people know that I'm very adamantly pro life. I am well, will not back down from it. But and I've gotten lots of Christians angry at me. The best way we could be pro life is to create conditions where women don't need to choose abortions. The last thing is to make it illegal, and I'm all for making it illegal, but what if we actually changed people's hearts? What if we actually got men staying with women that they got pregnant and raising their children? That would knock abortion way down. So we sometimes get so into laws and forcing people, and that's never Christ. It's about choice. And so, so much of what you're talking about is really, let's change the inside of us and others. Got to worry about the outside. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in all the issues, it's how God's looking at us, how we're treating people, how we're communicating to people, how we're communicating about people at the end of the day. And you're right. We have to be loving and encouraging to people and promote life in every area that we can. You know, not only life in the womb, but life in our relationships and life in Mm -hmm. internal life and abundant life. And um, the anger of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. You know, the gossip of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. So that's if, if, if that can be the filter through which we communicate to everybody and about everybody, the church is very 
vindictive and I'm guilty of that, you know, um, as well. And, uh, but we can be very, you know, self-righteous and, you know, they're wrong and I'm right. They're wrong. And God's like, Hmm, Hmm. You need to you need to just check yourself first. <laughs> check yourself every day. Um, so yes, I agree with that. So tell me, I mean, this church is huge. We're in San Diego. You you're a pastor of the Rock, and you went from playing DB for the Chargers for four years. Yeah. Did Junior Seau, did he play back then? He Dan was Fouts. after me. Okay, so Dan Fouts was Fouts quarterback. Yep. Joiner. Yeah, you had those great teams that yeah. couldn't beat the Raiders. Right. Uh, wasn't that the fumble, the fumble play where the Raiders beat you guys in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah that was before I was here. That was before I was here. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you <laughs> go from, with, uh, uh, why, why are you going to bring that stuff up? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to feel superior to you somehow. <laughs> you know, the four, uh, why are you a Raider fan? No. Oh, okay. When I when I was, uh, I think. Let me see. I don't think the four years I was here, we we only beat the Raiders once. We beat the Raiders once. Yep. And and if ironically enough, tangent, it was the it was the day my daughter was born. I literally ran off the field. I was at at the end of the at the bench going, Susan Clock Zero, I'm running out of here because my wife was in labor in the hospital. Wow. And I was running out of the locker room dressed and showered. Guys were still coming off the field. Cause I had to get to the hospital. That was not back in the days when they would have understood you wanting to be at your daughter being born. I mean, that was no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think she, she, it was during the game when she left. I saw, you know, she had a false labor the night before. So she wasn't in labor when I went to the field, but yeah, I remember that was the only time we ever beat him. You, Dude, know, so. you got in that era too. I mean, those fields were horrible. You, like, yeah, it was, it was, it was green paint on dirt. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. literally. Or literally. like in Philadelphia, it was green paint on concrete. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. And people, and, and, and people don't believe me. It was literally, our field was so bad. And everybody thought San Diego, look at that green grass. I said, no, no, it's dirt. I mean, there was some blades, but they painted it green. That's terrible. It was on your, I don't know, oh. it, it was nasty. Anyway, unbelievable. Sorry, long yeah. tangent. Long tangent. Yeah, yeah, wrong tangent. But <laughs> so, so you go from there. You, you, the Rock's only. I mean, you started this what twenty years ago? Twenty-one years. So ago. not that. I mean, in our perspective, not that long ago. Now you've got this massive church. What are some of the things that you've seen now? I mean, you've got a multi multi-racial church, multi-ethnic church in San Diego, which is an, an area that's most people don't realize is actually a pretty conservative city in a really liberal state. So it, there's. San Diego's got its own weird dichotomies, all this military presence. There's a lot of cultural things going on that you are having to run. What What are the things that you've learned sort of about the church and then running this church in this area that if you'd, you'd share with people? Because, you know, a lot of people watching this are pastors. Right. Yeah, we have a very diverse uh, community, San Diego. It's, it's very diverse. Uh, our church has always been diverse since day one. Um, my youth group back long, long time in the eighties was, was we had nine nationalities in my house and I had 30 kids, right? So wow. everything I've, I've always, I, I come from a diverse family. So I've yeah. diversity has been kind of my life just because and it wasn't something I engineered, right? It would just happen. And so I, I think the important thing for pastors who are trying to minister to a diverse community is that you having people in your room that don't look like you doesn't mean you have a diverse ministry. And, mm, that's and, I, right. and, and I would say, because a lot of the, a lot of the guys I have, a lot of people I know, pastors, they have a political bent to their ministry, um, which I think is a big mistake uh, only because God has called us to be um, ministers of, of his message, right? 
And the political message we think is, is a vehicle for God's message. Mm. <laughs> some of it could be, right? You've taken some stands now on some issues that were God issues, but that cross over into politics. You've been pretty bold. Yes. It's a difference between saying, I, I, don't, bl- I don't believe in racism, right? I, want, I believe all people equal. Just saying my political party is this, or here are all the people you should vote for. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't say that. I'm not saying that, but I, I, the, the reason pastors have to be careful is when you have people in your church coming from all different political places, all different socioeconomic places, your job is to bring them to Christ. And, and what God does is that he brings people from all over the, all these zip codes, we have 180 zip codes in it, all these zip codes, all these socioeconomic uh, perspectives, all these experiences and saying, God, can you not only unite us together, but God wants to love you. If you're too much into, and, and I've, listen, I've done it and I've done it wrong. So, you know, I, I'm not even saying I did it right because I didn't, I did it wrong and, and alienated people where I could have, didn't do it as biblical as I would have do it today. So by being too dogmatic and versus saying, um, here are some perspectives if you even go there, but here's really what the Bible says about God and you. And so I think for pastors to be aware and be very respectful, like you, you gave the story about the, the black trans lady. Well, is she in your church? Is she loved? Are you going to welcome her? Are you going to love her, pray for her, listen to her? Or are you going to tell her why she's wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and so as a church, we have to say, wait a minute, this lady's made in the image of God. God loves her just like he does me. And so let me, let me focus on what we have in common right? Her need for God, my need for God, her journey, my journey, right? And so, and so if we, if we are too, you know, politics or social activism is me against you, right? And you can do that so much in the church that who's in your church is only on whose side of that argument. And so God said, said being, instead of being an activist, be prophetic and say, there's something higher we can all aspire to. And that's where the church should come. I should be able to come to a church where no one looks like me and people welcome me and we, we, are, we are worshiping the same God, not I'm being forced to, to, to buy into an ideology that's not the Bible. It's what they believe is biblically compatible, but it's not the Bible. That's where it's a very subtle... Um, uh, a subtle, I don't want to say tool of the devil. The, 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 the politics is not necessarily the tool of the devil, but it can be used to, to be divisive with people because it gets in between my understanding of just me and you worshiping God. And now you're trying to get me to believe this, this, this issue, um, or uh, address this issue in a, in a way that's not necessarily biblical to us versus them manner. So I, I, I agree with you, but let me ask it. Let's take it to the, to, to the sort of nth degree. However, whenever I try to get my way through a tough problem, I go, what if I take it to the nth degree and then move it back? Yeah. All right. So at what point does a pastor stand for justice, even if it's politics? And let's take the extreme. It's 1938. It's Nazi controlled Germany. Mm-hmm. They're shutting down Jewish businesses and they're, they're taking them and huddling them into ghettos yet. They haven't started murdering them yet. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is being torn apart on the inside. He's a man of God going up. But at what point does that pastor and a man of God 
get involved, right? And he wrestled through that desperately and finally came to the conclusion that the church must stand against such an injustice. Yep. All right. Take it a little bit further this way. Abortion. Mm-hmm. As I said before, massively pro-life. To me, every yep. pastor in America should be standing against abortion. Um, Francis Schaeffer said, um, every abortion clinic in America should have a sign in front of it that says, continues to remain open because by permission of the Church of Jesus Christ because we're not fighting against it as much yep. as we should. Where do you come down on an issue? I'm not asking you to take a stand on this, mm-hmm. but just at what point does a pastor stand up and say, this is wrong and I don't care if it's two part political parties took issue on it. Mm-hmm. We, we got to stop killing babies. Like, yep. where do you, where do you come yep. down on that? Um, well, I believe in life and- Yeah, uh, I know you do, but I just meant as far yeah, as being yeah. public. Yeah, I, I think that it's, there's two different issues. If my church is known to be Republican or Democrat. That's what I'm referring to. And because ver- uh, more than, you you mentioned earlier, if I'm a football player above being a Christian. Right. <laughs> right. right. So if I'm a political av- a- activist above being a preacher, the absolutely. Gospel, so that's really what I'm referring yeah. to. Taking stands on issues. I mean, I did a whole series in a book on racism. Well, I know what you think on this. <laughs> you know I know what, what you think. I just want yeah, you to clarify yeah, it for yeah, people yeah, listening. Yeah. But I, but I think, but I think though, the the uh, so one, it's it's are we known as people that are about the gospel? And here's how the gospel ap- ap- applies to this issue. Number one, and am I applying the gospel to this issue in a way that's consistent with the heart of God? Hmm. What, a lot of times, what pastors will do, which and again, the goal is if I'm sitting in, if I'm ministering, if I'm in your church and I'm, you're ministering to me, right? You're trying to get me to come to Christ. Give me a path to see God and the spirit of God in this issue. And how do I respond in a way that I feel like if I don't do what you want today, I'm a bad person because there, there are, there, there are probably in our church, a hundred people say, well, how can we not talk about my issue? Right. And, and be, who's to say that issue is more important than this issue and then this issue and then this issue. And so, um, the, the danger is that we get real dogmatic about an issue and we're not dogmatic about the love that God has called us to represent and to preach principles that lead people to see the issue through God's eyes. So, and it's a, it's a tricky blade because we can self-justify this is wrong the bible says that verse and therefore i'm right to say this but you alienated are you really accomplishing honoring god and how god you know the reason those to you know if you put a sign out in front right well god's like well what's what if someone said well why can't god just shut it down why why are you putting that on the church why is god where's god in all this right so i and i'm not saying that the church Often people get blamed for stuff. I, I was, I was, I don't know if I heard a joke somewhere, but it was like the devil was on the curb sitting crying and someone came to the devil and said, why are you crying? You ruined the whole world. He goes, man, I'm getting blamed for stuff that I didn't get a chance to do. <laughs> 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 you know, and it's like, you know, uh, um, people, are, people, people are sinful and people do stuff and God is seeing how we're going to respond. And and w- however we respond, we can't violate his number one command, which is love him, which is obedience and, and obeying him humbly. Doesn't mean we can't get loud or, you know, uh, but, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, um, uh, yes, get involved, but getting involved in a way 
that honors him and that's going to, um, and if you honor him, it's going to, it's going to move people's hearts and it is a tough balance. You know, a good way to put that, a little kind of a story on that was back when I was a policeman in South Central Los Angeles, um, you know, I was a big guy. I was 6'3", 230. My partner was a bigger guy. He was a big bodybuilder guy. And we get radio calls to, as you know, from your son and your dad, domestic disputes all the time. And the state of California, in its infinite wisdom, would say that if there was any mark on the woman at all, the husband went to jail. We didn't, it was not in our, we didn't make a judgment call. That was it. A lot of times people get upset. I mean, she might have marks on her for any number of reasons that have nothing to do with him, right? But we'd show up, you know, they were angry, screaming. Now they're kind of calm. The police have shown up. Now they have a common enemy, which was us. And now we got to take this guy to jail who may have not even done anything. And here's the thing. He was going to jail. No matter what happened, he was going to go to jail. But there was many ways to take him to jail. And so what I used to say, especially if the wife was really angry with him still, yeah, you take that blankety blank to jail. I would have my partner take the wife and the kids, if they were away out of the room. And then I'd say to him, look, here's what the city of Los Angeles says. I have to take you to jail, but I don't have to humiliate you. So do me a favor. Let's walk out to the car. I'm not going to handcuff you in front of your family. When we get to the other side of the car, I do have to handcuff you before you get in the car, but I can take you out with dignity, not give her the satisfaction. If that happens to be the case, handcuff them in 99 times out of hundred, a guy would like, okay. You know, but I could have just wrestled him on the ground, beat him up, mm -hmm. and put the handcuffs on him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're saying. There is a way to do things where we believe people with dignity and it mm -hmm. leads to peace rather than judging and yelling and screaming. I got the whole city of Los Angeles on my side. I know I'm right in that case. And I know he's going to jail. But how he gets there, there's a million different options that are up to me in that moment. We as Christians, that black trans person on the side of the road or whomever else it may be, how we walk up to them. It, if we have the love of Christ, the truth of Christ in us, we already know we're right. So now we get to be extra gracious about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and even it's not even a yes, and, but, it, and it's not even, I am right. She's wrong. I'm going to be obedient and I want to be loving and I want to be used by God right now. And I'm going to do this because man, God did this for me. It's more of, I'm humble. Right. And I want to be loving, um, uh, not, I, I'm right in a sense, I have the gospel and the gospel is true, but it's more of my mission to love somebody. Because if you come at it another way, you're coming at it as I'm right, you're wrong. Or um, what, if that's my filter, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, or I'm going to be self-righteous because I'm going to do the right mm -hmm. thing for you versus coming at it from, I just want to serve. Because when we come at it from, I want to serve and I want to be obedient, I want to be loving. Then God says, okay, now I can give you this power. Now I can work the miracle. Yeah. But if I point. come at it the other way, God says, well, it, that's on you. You, you. you go ahead and do it. And that's what we see. We're fighting because we're doing it in our own power. But when we do it, when we do it in God's power, God's like, wow, that's why she broke down and cried. The guy didn't pull the tears out of her head. Right. <laughs> he didn't guilt the tears out of her head. The Holy Spirit did that. And, and, he, and it wasn't even that he guilted. He loved her. And she was crying out of joy. Right where you could have went back and I'm a herder and make her feel, you know, and, and that's what we miss. We miss that because we're trying to control, 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 control. Yeah, let me put a bow on that. Um, cause I know what you're saying and I know some people misconstrue it. Remember the first time I went on a mission trip to Africa, I went there to lead people to Christ and to be the big guy. I was the American going to Africa. 
I left Africa thinking about what a crappy Christian I was. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I got around those people yeah, yeah. and I saw them worship for hours and hours and hours, and I'm going, whoa, yeah, th these people know Jesus. I'm the one who needs yeah. to be ministered to. You know? let, let, me, let me say that a little different way. That may offend some people, but at least it, it may be a little more clear. You went as the great white hope from America. Right, the great American hope. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing: when I when I go out of the country, I I feel like man, we are so arrogant. We are, yeah. Man, you know, I'm not the white American, but I'm the American, right? And I'm like, dang, look at this. We don't even realize it. So we go with this attitude: I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. We don't even consciously say it. It's just who we are because we. We don't, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Then we realize, oh snap, I didn't go there to change them. God brought me there to change me. And that usually works for the people who are open to it. The other people are like, well, I did this, I did this. And then God's like, you missed the whole point. You just spent five grand for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we can happen every, that's what can happen every day now. But the difference now, especially with the race issue now is that our perceived well-being is involved. So if I don't control this, I am going to be impacted. And that's what people's perception is instead of trusting that God is going to honor our country if we come together. So talk about that. So you're you're not just writing a book and you're not just talking about it. You're doing stuff to, to bring healing. Yeah. Uh, to this country. And I, this, yeah. I love this. Yeah. So as we close out, man, take take some time to talk yeah. about that. So we have uh, the book that has 18 chapters and three questions per chapter. So these people can do book clubs with the book. But we also created um, a DEI training, diversity, equity, inclusion training, but we call it similarity training. All the people in the corporate world know those terms. Um, and we, we created it for kids K through 12. We created it for adults. We created it for church, a church version. So we're training police, the DA's office, um, businesses, et cetera, um, schools. Uh, and it's six sessions. Each session has an 11-minute teaching video on one of these topics. Similarity, uh, grouping, how we group each other, blind spots. We didn't get into blind spots. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> labels being a brother, sister's keeper, or having a race consultation, not a race conversation, which we could talk about. But each session has a video, teaching 11 minutes. And then there's a workbook where you do this group discussion and then you do role play where you actually live it out, act it out, and then homework. We piloted this course with the police here in San Diego, the DA's office. And we asked them at the end, was it the best you ever had? We just went for it. <laughs> and they were like, 100%. And we asked them why, and they said, because it led them on a journey of self-discovery where they realize their own bias. Everybody has bias. There's not a human on the earth that doesn't have bias, so right. this is be clear. But they, they said that it helped us realize their own bias because the questions were leading. They weren't like, you're this, you're this, you're this. It's like, do a discussion with this person about this. And then we're like, oh wow, we're more similar than we thought. Mm -hmm. Do a discussion about, oh man, look what just came out of my mouth. And so, the, the class self-teaches, and it, there's a teacher in um, Indio, California, it's north of here. She's teaching it to her juvenile hall class. These are like 10 kids in jail. And she emailed me, she emailed the, the person on our staff that trained her, and then I got the email, and I ended up calling her, because it said, my kids are 100% engaged, they're retaining all the information, and they, they, when they miss it, they want to make the class up. Wow. 
So I said, can I zoom in on the class? She says, yes. So really? I zoomed in juvenile hall and here's these kids walk in. I, I, I got on early. So it's just, it, there were the desks open. They walked in and it was like maybe 10 of them, black and Hispanic guys. We had a discussion. I said, hey, tell me what grouping is. Yo, man, everybody's in a different group and those not like me, those like me. And they were, they were quoting the stuff out of the class. That's awesome. And I said, what else you learned? Well, you know, there's a Mexican kid said, you know, those guys in a black gang that we have more similarities and differences. And they're telling me the exact stuff that's in the video. So um, we had a half hour conversation. It was, it was awesome. So we have these, this curriculum that it's for adults and little kids from kindergarten to teach these principles and it's, it teaches itself. And so when we train people, so we have training, we, we train the trainer program. So we want to train people in schools, teachers or HR directors to, so they can train their staff in the curriculum. And it, it, and the, and the trainer is really a facilitator. It's a guide because the content does the teaching by leading people through these questions and discussions to self-discover their own biases, their own, um, blind spots, et cetera. And then it gives solutions on how to deal with it. So we're, we're, we're excited, uh, because, because a lot of what, a lot of training that's available is divisive. I, I did a, I did a 45, 45 that is for sure. Yeah, I did a 45 minute talk on a video for a police, a fire station in Connecticut. And this one white guy was in the class and he, the chief told me he came to map those crying. And he said, I all my life been told to hate these people, Latinos, and I was wrong. This guy's crying, he's a fireman. They wanted to hear more because it's a liberating message. It's not you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You realize that, but it's more like, hey, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about here's um, a group of people and here's what in-group bias is and, and how can you can look at people who you think aren't like you, but they're really like you and see them for how, and this is, this is the, this is the, the, the mainstream version. This is not the Bible version, by the way. This is just talking about the, the concepts. Well, my friend who's the chief at that fire station, his son-in-law was at another fire station and they did another training. He said they were going to get ready to fight each other because that training was about us first them. Mm -hmm. They were mad. And this was not your training. No, this my training was, my training was with my friend. Right. And his son-in-law was at another station and they did a different training. And he said they were walking out, they were getting ready to fight. Um, and I say that to say that th me being right, you being wrong. Now, there are wrong policies, no question. It's how we get to the solution. Because if I force you to believe what I believe, you're gonna be resistant. But if I bring you along the journey and say, look, I, I, there's a kid in, um, New York, um, Khalif Browder. I don't know if you know the story. He was 16 years old, black kid walking down the street and the cops pull up and, and there's a white guy in the back of the car and says, that's the guy who stole my backpack. Okay. So they arrest him. He said, I didn't steal the backpack. Make a long story short. He did a thousand days in Rikers Island. Ooh, never. Dude. He was never, con never charged. He did 700 plus days in solitary confinement, tried to kill himself multiple times. And they kept trying to get him to plea out, but he says, I didn't do it. Thousand days. I already see your face. You already, you already yeah. answered my question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The guy who charged him left the country. The guy, the, the, the guy who charged the kid, the Khalif, he gets out of prison after a thousand days of saying, I'm not going to plea. I'm not going to plea. They said, look, just plea. They couldn't, his mother didn't have any money to get him out. Just plea. And he said, no, 
I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty. He gets out of prison after a thousand days, this videotape of him getting beat up. He killed himself. Oh. So I, I tell this story all the time, right? I said, okay, so how many of y'all think that that is wrong? Everybody. Okay. I said, okay. Now, um, this is, this may get a little political for you, but <laughs> I, uh, when I use this in, don't offend me. I'm a little sensitive. No, you're not going to get when I use this, when I use this in, and when I've used this in the past, I say, that's why the guys were kneeling on the football field. Now, all the people who hate the kneeling, fine. That's fine. Right. I play football, but have you ever asked why? Right. Does whether you agree with it or not, who has, who have you spoken to about why? Because I asked how many of you in here right now would say that would never happen to my son. And I would do anything to prevent that. Now. And everybody raised their hand. That's wrong. That's the reason. Now, the reason I bring that story up is that we have to, we have to step back and ask ourselves, what don't we know about other people? And what is, how is our own perspective blinding us from the bigger context of what's going on? Whether you agree or not, but when I tell that story, I get the whole crowd to say, you know, demanding justice. Exactly. But if you've never had to be down that road of having that injustice, I, in, one of my, in one of my chapters, I invited some white people to go to a place where they were the only white person. Just go to an environment where you're the only white person, which is something that a, a lot of whites probably haven't done a lot, especially in the United, they may go to Africa, but I'm talking about the United States. Probably never. Right. A lot, a lot, never. And the thought of it, which is, is nerve wracking, which I've been told, and I can imagine it is. Now, if you're a person of color, you're, you experience that all the time. Sure. Okay. So I said, I want you to go and I want you to answer these questions. Were you anxious? You know, how'd you feel when you were going? How were you treated? What was your perception? A couple of people I asked said, I'm not going to do it. Just not going to do it. Grown men. It's in the book. I won't even go to a black church. Wow. And so the reason I say this is that we have to realize what we believe and what, what, who we really are. Because if you hear you are a grown man, you're a successful Christian. And this person I'm referring to specifically is an author, written 50 books. And his quote is in this book, accomplished. He says, he, he said, I live as far away from the black community in my city as I can and be in the city. I would not go to a black church. I feel like I have to leave right away. And this is a, this is a guy that, that if you met, you, I mean, he wouldn't say this to you, but if you met him, you say, hey, he's a great guy. You know, one of the things, the chapters I talk about is blind spots and it has two chapters. One of the blind spots is that you could be racially offensive and not necessarily be a racist, at least intentionally. There are racist people, get me, don't get me wrong. But there are people who just, they're so blind <laughs> to how offensive things they say, believe, and, and are. And that's a journey. I, I just wish America could go back to being like in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. yeah. Well, that was good for you. <laughs> hey, I was in the 60s. You want to go before that? But, but you hear people say that, yeah, they, yeah, it's, it's, it's that it's, insensitivity. It's, it's, their, it's their perspective. And, and listen, if, if it's, you know, $5 movies, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's sort of found you know, innocent movies. 10 cents for gasoline. gasoline. Right. Yeah, I, that. But, but, I but think, we'll take the same drinking fountain. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it, the training, get back to the training, is taking people on a journey and going, I need to learn about me. 
And in the training, black people, white people, Hispanic people all say exactly the same thing. I didn't realize this about me. This training is not about them. It's about me. And, but it's all about taking people on a journey of self-discovery and where they go, huh? So if you're police department, business, go to third option, uh, similarity training, third option training. So, so how do they get it? How do, where do they, where do they go? The third option training.com. Third, third option. The third and is option it with training. a three RD or do you spell out third? The th all, all spell it all out. And is it the third option? The third option. The training. third option training. Yeah. Or go to milesmcpherson.com. It's on there. milesmcpherson.com. It's called and similarity training. We're, we're talking about. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the book and. You get the book. One of the things we talk about all the time is if you love Christ, one of the things you need to do is get involved in school boards, pay attention to what they're teaching our kids, get involved in local governments, get involved in the PTA. This is one of those excellent things. If you're on a school board or in a city council, get this stuff because this is really, really good stuff. I, I love this book. It's it's yeah. really, really great. And uh, and I would tell the people who get, who get in the school board and do all the politics, do that, but be loving. Don't be a knucklehead. <laughs> and on that note, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't be I mean, because here's the thing: people are gonna go, "Yeah, they're a Christian," but man, let them say, "You know what? Whatever you have, I want." Let them say that because you can accomplish both. You can Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He accomplished both. Show them Jesus, not your oh, unconscious bias. Exactly, exactly. And I, I'll leave it this this last definition, this last word definition on racism. So when I see the image of God in you is less than the image of God in me. Say that again. I see the image of God in you as less valuable, less legitimate than the image of God in me. That's good. That's your definition of racism. Yeah. I love that. Or I see the humanity when we go to outside the Christian space, the humanity in you. When your friend was driving down the street and he saw that lady with the sign, he saw a human. That's it. He saw a human that had a sign on a corner. And if we could see people like that, that's the Bible. I mean, that's just Jesus, right? And I don't want to say it's that simple, but it's, it's that simple. It's like salvation, man. It's real simple, believe in Christ, but it's cost you everything you have. Yeah. 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 Thanks, brother. Hey, thank you. This is great. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app.
That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. <laughs>